this special edition of the Catholic Man Show. I am here with Dr. Michael Foley, the new author of a new book, Why We Kiss Under the Mistletoe, Christmas Traditions Explained, that was just released uh, early September, I believe. Is that right, Dr. Foley? That is correct. Yes. Well, it's great to have you back on the show. We had you on, I don't know, it had to be, what, several years back. Um I, I think it may be 2017 or 2018. You're right. It's been a while. Yeah, but it's good. To, it's good to, good to have you back on, and uh, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. I'm thankful for you guys sending it over to me. We were actually talking right before the recording about the person that you dedicated this book to. Can you can, can you let us know who that is? Absolutely. I dedicated the book to a father, Francis X. Weiser, who was an Austrian Jesuit who fled Austria in the late 30s uh, because of the Nazis. And he actually came about the same time as the Von Trapp family, uh, which he was, uh, with whom he was friends. And um, he landed in Boston, became the pastor at the church where my wife and I met and were married decades later. Um, but he wrote a series of wonderful Holy Day holiday books in the 1950s, where he goes through all the customs of the liturgical year. And he has been such a rich resource for me and my family, and in many respects is the inspiration for this Christmas book. Yeah, and I mean, uh, some of his stuff is really interesting because he his book covers not only the the Amer uh, in fact, not a lot of the American stuff, but more of, more of what happens, you know, in Europe, because that's where he was more familiar with. So, um, it, 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 his books are pretty fun. They're not they're hard to find nowadays. I think um, that's right. So, the, his most popular one, the the Handbook of Christian Customs, I know it was reprinted several times, but I don't know about the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. You can find a lot of them um, free, though, in PDF form. Oh, nice! I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, so, what, so what, what inspired you to write this, uh, the book on? I mean, obviously, you're, you're, you've written uh, several drinking with the saints, but you have the uh, drinking with Saint Nick book. We've, we've promoted and um, given that away to our patrons as, as, as thank you gifts. Uh, your, your books go hand in hand with kind of what we do with our uh, Glencairn whiskey glasses, and so. Uh, we, we, we love promoting your stuff, but what made you uh, decide to write this book on Christmas traditions? Well, there is the inspiration of Father Weiser, as we talked about a moment ago. But um, the bottom line is, unlike, uh, not unlike many kids, I just grew up absolutely in love with Christmas and fascinated by it. I was, I was always fascinated by the Christmas symbols because there's no other time in the American year like it. There's no other time that is so dense and rich with symbolism. But a lot of these symbols aren't self-explanatory. You know, why do we deck the halls with boughs of holly and not boxwood? What about the Christmas tree? And why do we kiss under the mistletoe? So I was able to, as an adult with, you know, researching skills, uh, I was able to dig deep and get some answers to these questions. So while you were doing all of this research, what was your cocktail of choice to go to? <laughs> well, it, it depends on the season of the year, actually. So one of the, uh, 
one of the oddities of writing a Christmas book is um, I was doing the final edits in July, <laughs> which in Waco, you know, a Texas summer, there is just, it's just, yeah, talk about a disconnect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're probably, yeah, doing something a lot less, a lot more refreshing. What, so what's your uh, go-to for during the uh, Christmas season? Uh, well, during the 12 days of Christmas, we will do seasonal drinks, like especially mulled wine, mm -hmm. uh, Christmas punches uh, for larger gatherings. Um, but um, for the cold, I love a good whiskey. And I've lately fallen in love with Irish. Ah, yes. Uh, my wife and I went to Ireland uh, this past April. And we had a good sampling of Irish whiskeys. And uh, I'm, I'm now in love with Irish. I still like scotch, but I, I find there's a special charm to a smooth Irish. Yes. So we actually took a pilgrimage to Ireland as well uh, and, and had a chance to go to several of those. So I agree. Did you, by chance, go to Teeling uh, Distillery? No, we didn't. So we, we went to a, a, an Irish whiskey museum in Dublin. Yep, I was which, there. Which gave us a bunch of samples. Okay, good. Um, but we we're not that we we're not able to visit any distilleries, unfortunately. Okay, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the unique thing about most Irish whiskeys is it's triple distilled, right? So it's it's much a much smoother whiskey. Um, if if you're just entering into the whiskey game, so to speak, it's a good one to start with because it's not very harsh. That's well said, and I was surprised that. Unlike a scotch, a good scotch or a good bourbon, you don't need to add a few drops of water in order to unleash the flavors because it's already so smooth. That's right. Now, so let me ask you this. I'm sure you get this. We get this on the Catholic Mancha because we start off the show, you know, almost every time with an, a, a nice drink. And, uh, and you've written books on, on you know, uh, cheer and merry, merriment. And so... When you get feedback or, or maybe pushback about promoting alcoholic drinks, what, how, do you, how do you go about answering that, that pushback? Oh, just by saying, biblically, the, the Bible makes a distinction between drunkenness and drinking in moderation. It only condemns drunkenness. It, but with drinking in moderation, it treats it as a normal part of everyday life. And then even an important part of uh, solemn parts of the year, like the wedding of Cana or the Passover or the Last Supper. So, yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with promoting alcohol as long as you're not promoting drunkenness. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, OK, so let's get in a little bit into the book. I'm, I'm curious about before maybe before we do what what's your favorite uh, Christmas carol that maybe not be mainstream Christmas carol that maybe somebody should be. Uh, considering looking into that maybe they don't know about? Well, that's a great question. Uh, there are just so many favorites. Um, right. uh, my personal favorite, I, I guess it's more of an Advent hymn than a, a Christmas carol, is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a rich history behind that. It's probably one of the oldest that we have. Um, but yeah, I, honestly, I don't know where to begin. They're all so good. Yeah, uh, I think the Okomo Come Emmanuel is probably like the go-to for Advent, right? Um, we, I just got done uh, doing some Advent caroling or Christmas caroling 
uh, with my with my my daughter, and you always start out with O Come O Come Emmanuel because that's that's a good you know that's the good way to start, especially when it's not Christmas season yet. Um, but an, a, another one that we really like um, is or, or that David likes is uh, let's see what is it, uh, married gentleman or Come O Married Gentleman. Um, God rest you, married gentleman. God, God rest his married gentleman. Yes, yeah, David. They were just telling me about how that's a, a really good one that no one really talks about. That's right. No, it is a really good one. And I actually learned from Father Weiser that the original pronunciation was God rest ye Mary, comma, gentlemen. That, that Mary was an adverb, not an adjective. So it's not God rest ye, Mary, gentlemen. It's not the gentlemen are Mary. Uh, but but that is invoking a kind of a blessing. God, God rest ye in merriment, gentlemen. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, so what? So caroling. What? what is, when we say Christmas caroling, I think a lot of people just think about singing Christmas songs, right? Uh, what 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 exactly is caroling, and does it actually differ from Christmas singing? I mean, these days the categories are all blurred. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the original definition of a carol is um, is a song and dance. The, the, the word carol actually comes from the Greek word for dancing, not for singing. Ah. Um, so it was basically a song that involved movement. And so Christmas caroling, you're not dancing, but you are moving from from door to door, right? Um, so that's that's the remnant of the meaning. So uh, huh. that's pretty cool. Yeah, so actually, it entails moving to from house to house by definition. That's cool. So, are you a out of curiosity? Are you a uh, midnight mass fan? I am. Um, it, it has proven difficult with small children. Yes. But uh, I, it is a special time of year. You know, there obviously is something special about staying late up at night just to go to Mass. Yeah, it's, uh, I want to write at some point, maybe hopefully next year, I want to take the time to write an, art, uh, an article in defense of the Midnight Mass. Because it's, it's such a beautiful tradition uh, that seems like it's going by, by the wayside in, in a, on a lot of, uh, areas because of, of the difficulty, right? Especially as young kids and things like that. But uh, I think there's there's a beauty to that tradition that needs to, you know, withstand the test of time. You know, it's, uh, it's someday I want to write that article. <laughs> you should. No, absolutely. It's worth it. And keeping the midnight mass at midnight. Right. And not 10 p.m., 9 p.m. I mean, I, I have been part of that where you know, we were fudging on the midnight definition. Uh -huh. um, and it, again, it was great for the kids, but we probably shouldn't fudge. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, um, throughout this book, you, you kind of dispel either, either some myths or, you know, you kind of give some context of, of some of the reasons why we do certain things that we do. Uh, I, I love, I love reading um, your books. It helps me and my family to live liturgically and gives kind of an understanding of, of why we do things. Uh, you break down, um, you know, why, you know, why we do certain things with the Christmas tree, what, you know, what, what the mistletoe is and why we kiss underneath it. 
Um, why don't you give a, a couple um, reasons on why we actually have a Christmas tree and then also why we, we kiss underneath the mistletoe? Well, let's start with the mistletoe since that's an easy one. Okay. Uh, the short the short answer is the Druids. Uh, they thought mistletoe was a magic plant. It was green in the dead of winter. Uh, it had white berries, uh, which are relatively rare in the plant world. And the berries only happen in the winter, which is also rare. Um, it grew, but never touched the ground. So they thought this was a special thing. They harvested it with great care. And they often, they associated it with peace. They would make peace under the mistletoe. Hmm. And so when Christianity came to those lands, the Christians added their signature greeting of peace, which is the kiss. And that is why we kiss under the mistletoe. Huh. Very good. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, so what about what about the Christmas tree? Is that a, is that a pagan thing that we just baptized Christ, uh, Christian? Well, you know, you, you talked about Christmas myths. It, it was astonishing to discover that there were myths about Christmas myths. And um, one of them was the Christmas tree. I grew up being told that it was a pagan Yuletide holdover. But the truth is, it is a quintessentially Christian invention. It is the product of the medieval theater. Uh, December 24th was the unofficial feast of Adam and Eve as a kind of um setting the stage if you will for the for the birth of jesus christ as the new adam and so they would stage these plays of the garden of eden they would have two trees on the stage the tree of life which was uh, decorated with unconsecrated hosts to symbolize eternal life and then uh the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which was decorated with red balls to symbolize the forbidden fruit. Um, eventually, these plays were suppressed, but people loved the custom so much, they took the true trees, they combined them into one, and moved them into their home. And that is the origin of the Christmas tree. Huh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because a lot of, uh, you do hear, especially nowadays with the, the Twitter warriors and things of how we always just take pagan things and, and make them Christian. So that, that's pretty that's pretty cool. And, you know, even if it were a pagan Yuletide holdover, so what? Uh, yeah. You're right. Christians, especially Catholics, should be absolutely unapologetic by taking what is best from any culture that they encounter. Amen. I mean, we wouldn't have coffee otherwise or the croissant, you know, so thanks be to God, we, we baptized that and made it Catholic. Exactly. Um, so how do you think that because of this, I don't know, utilitarian world or a consumerism world that because it seems like Christmas actually starts, you know, right after, in fact, right after Thanksgiving. In fact, my neighborhood had Christmas lights up before Thanksgiving this year. And I thought it was just ridiculous. I mean, this is just absurd. But you get to the point where, uh, because they've been you've been seeing Christmas lights for a month and a half before Christmas even starts, that once Christmas is here, uh, we we think we have this understanding of like, oh, let's get the Christmas tree out, you know, the next day. But but Christmas has just started. Like Christmas is just beginning. 
this is so frustrating to me that we uh, move it up so early each year. No, I agree. Each year, the Christmas marketing season seems to be getting longer and longer. This year, I saw jack-o'-lanterns and Christmas trees together for sale in the store. That's just that's just wrong. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a you know, a lover of the free market, but that's just wrong. Yeah. Um, so uh, and, and like you said, the problem with that is if you extend the Christmas season, by the time you get to Christmas Day. December 25th, you're practically sick of Christmas. Mm -hmm. So so our forebears had a much healthier idea. You really observe December as Advent, as the time of joy, but restraint. Mm -hmm. And then when Christmas comes, you pull out all the stops and you have 12 days of unbroken merriment. Those 12 days of Christmas between uh, December 25th and January 6th, the Feast of the Epiphany, were a wonderful time where shops were closed, law courts were closed. Um, all of your manual labor was to have been done before Christmas Day. You know, all the food prepared, the animals slaughtered, the, uh, the, the wood chopped, so that during those 12 days, you just had merriment. Yeah, That's a better model. And that, that's how you actually live. I mean, this is like the true leisure, right? This is like in order to, to live out, uh, you know, what true leisure you work so that you can rest. You don't rest so that you can work, you know. Um, but so how, well do said. We, how do we do that in today's world when, when that's not the case? Uh, like, how do you, what would you suggest to families uh, to, to be able to live out the Christmas, the season, season of Christmas, um, as fully as they can. I would say that it is harder in modernity, but it is not impossible. So just try to do it in so far as your job and your other responsibilities allow you to. I mean, one of the things that my family does is uh, we try to uh, stretch out the gift giving during the 12 days of Christmas so that our children for one thing, if, if they open up all their presents in, in a mad, you know, uh, <laughs> fury uh, on Christmas Day, and then it's all over in two hours, they're both overwhelmed and, frankly, usually ungrateful, um, you know, because it's just sort of like too much at once and they just short circuit. Mm -hmm. But if you give them a little bit every day, that extends the merriment, it extends the the suspense and hopefully makes them a little more grateful for each and every present that they get. Um, so things like that. Uh, there are lots of fun customs during the 12 days of Christmas. I talk about them in my book. Um, for me, I'm a college professor, so I, I get the 12 days of Christmas off. So that's great for me. Um, I, I'm able to keep leisure. But even if your day job requires you to go back, just try to find other ways of keeping that sense of merriment alive during the 12 days. Yeah, one of those days is uh, the solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, which is a, a beautiful solemnity, you know, January 1st. Uh, any suggestions or tips of how to live out the solemnity? So for most of history, the feast was the circumcision of Jesus Christ and the octave of Christmas. And it also had a Marian flavor. So 
there are a couple of liturgical customs, hymns to sing on that day, but most of the customs involve uh, New Year's Eve. Okay. And you, you probably already know them, right? Um, you know, the, the countdown uh, on the clock, uh, singing Old Lang Syne. A lot of those are Scottish customs, by the way, because uh, Scotland, as very strict Presbyterians, had suppressed Christmas. And so they, they took all their pent-up energy and they transferred it to New Year's Eve. <laughs> Uh, now, so yeah, that's a good, I'm glad you brought that up. Is it true that they used to say, the Protestants used to say, if it's not explicitly in the Bible that we can't celebrate it, was, is, or is it, am I misinterpreting? That, that is correct. Several, several Protestant reformers took that tack, especially the Puritans. Uh, Luther himself uh, was fine with Christmas. Um, he, he wasn't crazy, like, he, he drifted away from the communion of saints idea. So uh, he he kind of uh, dissed St. Nicholas, but he invented uh, Christ Kindle, the Christ child, as the gift giver on December 25th. So, you know, he was he was fine with uh, Christmas customs. But holy cow, the Puritans talk about Grinches. <laughs> when, when Oliver Cromwell and his thugs took took control of England and got rid of the monarchy, they made uh, Christmas a punishable offense. And they had policemen scouring the streets, sniffing the air to see if they could smell a Christmas goose or mincemeat pie. And if they did, they barged through the door and arrest the family. Wow. Wow. Okay, so uh, is that also because uh, they didn't believe that Christ actually was born on the 25th? Oh, I, I actually don't know what the, what the Puritans thought the real birthday of Jesus was. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure it was a concern. Um, what they did know is that Catholics had been celebrating it on December 25th. So they made sure that December 25th was just a normal work day. I see. You know, unlike any other, um, and the uh, the Puritans in in the New World were exactly the same way. Um, uh, in Boston, December twenty fifth was a mandatory work and school day into the eighteen seventies, and some factory owners were so anti Catholic that they would not only make their workers work on Christmas Day. They would start the shift early at 5 a.m. so that they could not attend morning mass. Wow. <laughs> that, that, Those Boston Brahmins. Yeah, that's some deep hatred right there. Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, th those who say that, 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 uh, that we just kind of picked December 25th as a... a you know, kind of randomly. Is, is there any uh, historical evidence that Christ actually was born on December 25th? Um, here's what we know. It's possible that he was born on December 25th. Um, we, But we don't know why the early Roman Christians thought he was born on December 25th. We have testimony from as early as AD 240 that Christians in Rome believed December 25th was his birthday. In Egypt, Christians believed it was January 6th. Hmm. 
And so over time, a compromise was made with both East and Western calendars. December 25th will celebrate as the birth. January 6th will celebrate as the epiphany. I see. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, for those guys who are going to be making toasts uh, to obviously during maybe Christmas or even the, as the new year, I recall last time we had you on, you, you, you gave kind of a, a blueprint for a toast. For those who may have not have, have had the opportunity to listen to that, can you give them a, a help, help a guy out as they're trying to figure out how to, how to give a toast? Absolutely. And um, I honestly do not believe this is an impious suggestion. I, I mean it quite sincerely and piously. But I do believe in liturgical drinking, and I believe you can use the collect of the day as a toast. Um, that is to say, the collect or the opening prayer from the Mass, which are so beautiful, and they follow a certain formula. And it usually goes something like this. O oh God, who does A, B, and C, uh, please grant us, you know, D and E and F so that we may have, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, that actually makes a really nice toast. Um, and you can still address it to Almighty God, or you could, if it's, you know, a special occasion, John just got promoted, you know, uh, here's to John who got promoted today. You know, may he have many happy times at the office so that, he will become healthy, wealthy, and wise. Or, I don't know, something like that, right? It's just, but it, it's a, it's a rather easy formula, and it, it makes for a nice, succinct toast. I like that. I like that. Uh, so, Doctor Foley's book, "Why We Kiss Under the Mistletoe: Christmas Traditions Explained." You can go pick that up uh, on Amazon, or I'm sure your local like, Catholic book and gift store. Uh, where anywhere else that they can pick that up. You're right. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble carries it. Um, the Regnery website has it. Um, and then you can also uh, get more information about the book and other fun things that uh, um, my wife and I are up to. Um, we're, we're doing, for example, hosting a, a pilgrimage cruise um, in April uh, I, to I Fatima and Portugal and Spain. And Yeah. Th are you going with uh, um, the Hernans? Messi family project and Father Leo Padalinghag or they will be on the boat. The Messi the Messi family will be on the boat and uh, my wife Alexander and I are are teaming up with Father Leo Padalinghag since he and I have co-written a cookbook called Dining with the Saints, which will be out in February of 2023. So we're going to do the cruise in April of 2023. So you can find information about all those things on drinkingwiththesaints.com. We also have a Drinking With The Saints Facebook page. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Drinking Saints. There you go. Dr. Foley, thanks so much for hanging out with us. I appreciate it. I appreciate all your work. Uh, again, uh, we, we utilize uh, your work quite a bit on the Catholic Command Show and, and give away your books quite often. So uh, we're, we're grateful for you. Excellent. Well, vice versa. I, I would love you guys and to keep up the good work. Thank you so much. You guys have been listening to the Catholic Command Show here with Dr. Uh, Michael Foley. Uh, go pick up his book, like I said, uh, Why We Kiss Under the Mistletoe, Christmas Traditions Explained. Also, if you guys don't have Drinking with the Saints by now, you guys make sure you go pick that up. It is just a, a lot of fun. In fact, one of the Tulsa priests, uh, the Diocese of Tulsa priests, helped uh, with that book 
uh, if I remember correctly. So uh, it has a good Tulsa um, uh, roots as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Dr. Foley. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Adam.